Welcome to the Healthified Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Not only have I come to better understand the tools we can use to become healthier human beings, but I love gaining new insights and perspectives from others in the field and sharing the health with all of you. Today's guest is Ellie Burke both a Martha Beck certified life coach and yoga and meditation teacher. Her path began in her early 20s with the exploration of the physical practice of yoga, which then evolved into more inner work with meditation. After teaching yoga and meditation for over 18 years, she launched her coaching practice in order to help people find their way to happier, more meaningful and connected lives. Through her coaching, she guides her clients to bring awareness to those stories, habits, behaviors, and patterns of thinking that may not be serving them. In other words, she helps her clients ask the important questions, not who am I, but who can I be? Ellie just so happens to be my personal life coach, and in our conversation, we get deep. We talk about how living a healthy life is holistic, and consciousness and mindfulness play a big part. We also discuss the physical side of things. When it comes to nutrition or fitness goals, what are those blocks that are preventing someone from eating right and exercise? And what can you do to empower yourself to move forward? Lastly, we explore the question of, are you living your best life? Many people would immediately imagine things, events, and situations occurring in their outer world, their job, relationships, material possessions. But often, external circumstances won't improve or enhance happiness if one's inner environment stays the same. When someone wants to feel better or get happier, often taking a look inside is the missing piece to the puzzle. This is one of my favorite healthified conversations with one of my favorite people. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Ellie. Hello. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I can't tell you how excited I've been to get you on here and um, pick your brain on kind of all the mindfulness things, which, you know, I think for the Healthified magazine interviews I've been doing, I would say that the mindfulness piece um, and the spirituality side of things is just as important as eating right and exercise and, and other things that you would consider wellness. So it's just so great to have you here to kind of pick your brain on all of that. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited. It's, it's, I've been looking forward to this as well, just to be able to have the chance for us to chat about the things that we both love so much. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. And for um, those of you who don't know, which would be every single one of you. Um, Ellie is my personal life coach and I've been working with her for probably, I want to say almost three years now. Um, and she has completely changed my life. In fact, I don't think I would be doing gratified or any of this if it wasn't for you because you've just helped, um, stir up confidence in me that I never really had professionally. So just wanted to give you that introduction before you introduce yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. So if you could just kind of um, tell people what you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure thing. So um, I am a life coach. I'm a certified life coach. I uh, did my training with Martha Beck, the Martha Beck uh, Coach Training Institute. Um, and also I'm a meditation and yoga teacher. So I've been teaching yoga for probably over 20 years now, which is always wild. I think that I'm that old that I could be a have been taught for that long. Um, and I've been teaching meditation more <clears throat> consistently in the past, um, I would say eight years or so. Um, and that work, the meditation work that I um, incorporate, which has been taught to me by my teacher, has been a really large component of my life coaching, which was not necessarily my intention when I first began practicing um, and not something that I learned through my coach training either. But I've integrated a lot of sort of what I would call the inner work or the awareness-based work um, that I have learned through experience in my own practice and, and by support with my teacher. Um, so I incorporate a lot of the, the mindfulness components, the, the self-awareness work um, in the coaching that I do with clients. And um, as you know, Sarah, like I work with all different kinds of clients on a variety of things. And so um, 
in my own personal journey, wellness or well-being or health, like all of these things to me sort of connect and come together um, is such a critical component at the foundation of really everything else we do in our lives. Um, and so although I, I'm not a wellness coach in particular, I work with folks a lot on what I would call like a holistic approach to well-being, which is really like, are we living our best lives? Not from like a, an outer perspective necessarily, although that does show up in the outer way, but really like in how we feel and how we operate and things we choose to do, the, the ways we um, sort of the intentional things we choose to include or exclude from our lives. Um, and I just, I love my work. So that's, um, me, um, and it's sort of in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah. I'll just say like, even in our sessions together, it, you're just so gifted at helping too. And you do it on the spot. It's not like, you know, the way that sessions unfold that you can plan and prepare for that because who knows what the client on the other end is going to throw at you, you know, but it's just, it's, it's such, it's been such a gift for me to kind of even like see as a former health coach. I mean, obviously, um, I've, you know, been in the coaching realm and on a little bit of a different basis, but, um, just the things that you are able to say and trigger and pull out from people, which I just think is so unique and, um, such a gift. So just to kind of witness that, um, it's just been, I know, life-changing for me. And I, and I want to unpack all of it, especially the difference between the outer and the inner work, mm -hmm. but I'd be curious to know kind of your various steps of inspiration, like what, like, really inspired you to start teaching yoga? What inspired you to um, enroll in Martha Beck Life Coaching Program? Like, talk to me about that. Yeah, so these are great questions. Um, I first started practicing yoga, and I, I remember so clearly my very first yoga class, and I, and I think about it often because it, it was so awkward, and I think I was, like, in the corner giggling with my friend the whole time, so I was like, what am I doing here, you know? Um, yeah, I remember that, too. It was just like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, I was, I mean, I can't even imagine what my teachers in those early days thought of me, but, um, <laughs> um, I originally was sort of doing it to address physical aspects. I was, I was a, a long time snowboarder and at the time wow. I was living in Montana and I was, um, hurting myself quite a bit <laughs> on the mountain. Um, and I had this great chiropractor who was basically like, you know, I, I will never tell you to stop doing what you love, but I will tell you that you need to be careful and take care of your body. And um, even at a young age, oh gosh, are you there, Sarah? I'm so yeah, sorry. I yeah. just lost you a I'm second. Um, give me one second. I'm here. I can get back to you. Sorry. Uh, my screen just, I got a disruption. Um, no, that's okay. Um, I so, can hear you. Okay. So I started, uh, I started trying to do yoga to be like, I guess I'm supposed to do this thing. But pretty quickly, um, as I, I, there was something about it that I was like, hmm, even though this feels awkward and funny, like I kept coming back to it. And then, um, and then actually I got into Ashtanga yoga. That was really my first practice, um, which I practiced for quite a few years. Um, then ended up in a place where I, I um, they didn't have the Ashtanga practice. So I was sort of going to a different studio. And, and I, I really started to recognize and, um, the value of sort of cult being able to cultivate things from an inner perspective. And this is where it sort of shifted into that inner space of like, oh, like if I wish to be more patient in life, that's actually something I can work on through this physical practice in an interesting way. And, um, and then that's really what started my path into even just wanting to become a yoga teacher and how I've taught over the years. Um, so that was really my entry point. And then it was actually really funny with the coach training. Um, I had had a few people say to me over the course, after I'd been teaching yoga for quite a long time, yoga students who said, you know, you should really consider becoming a life coach because it's kind of what you do anyway while you're teaching. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. What's a life coach like? Right. You know, right. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, and um, ironically, after many people were sort of telling me that and pointing me in the direction of Martha Buck. I actually, as you know, had, I have boy girl twins who are nine years old. And mm -hmm. after I had them, I had to sort of leave my work. We couldn't afford to put them both in daycare. So I became a full-time stay-at-home mom. But I also had like a pretty rough transition into parenthood. I had a lot of postpartum anxiety and 
uh, it was just a difficult transition. And after about a year, I was like, what am I going to do? Do I go back to work? Like, what am I, how am I, what am I doing? I don't know what I want to do in my life. And someone had said, Hey, you should maybe talk to a life coach. So I called this woman and we did like a discovery call at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, she was also a Martha Beck trained coach. She said, well, I'd love to work with you. I think we'd be a great fit. But I'm just out of curiosity, have you ever considered of maybe just becoming a life coach? <laughs> so I was oh like, my gosh. Oh. And it was really funny. So I was like, okay, all right. I need like universe. Yeah, the universe is sending you signs. So let me Very just blatantly. stop for a minute. And yeah, and yeah. so I was like, well, huh, this is really interesting. Maybe I should pay attention. So then I just explored the options with Martha Beck. And I was like, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. So I just did. And it was the best decision, probably one of the best decisions of my life. Yeah. And I think that that is so telling too, of what kind of a yoga teacher you are, because if your students were saying that, I mean, you know, I've been in classes where it's all just about the asana and the poses and it's, you know, very minimal language. And then I've been in classes um, that for me are more impactful where the teacher um, you kind of like walk out or float out basically. And you feel like you've had a little bit of a life coaching session because again, there's like certain, Mm -hmm. and it feels very authentic. And so it, obviously your students were picking up on that and, and being able to take that gift and kind of do it in another way more professionally. So I think that that, um, is amazing. Yeah. You know, and it was really interesting because it felt like for me a pretty pivotal, like I've always taught yoga and I've continued to teach yoga and I probably will always teach it in some capacity, mm-hmm. but in, in some ways it felt like becoming a coach allowed me and not with every single person I work with, but allowed me to sort of help people un- uncover or understand rather the experiences that they might have in a yoga class, mm-hmm. whether it was just a momentary thing or more of a long lasting like recognition um, and then translate that into life because often like we do, we do have these experiences in a practice and then we step off the mat and we go back to life and it's like, Oh, right. that only exists in my yoga practice. And the truth is, is that's not true. Like it, right. we learn some understandings about that. We can actually begin to integrate it into life a little bit more. Yeah. And I've noticed that in myself and because I've worked with you for almost three years, I can sort of, I know that, like I can even hear your voice in my head. It's just like, Oh, like when I'm in a yoga class or when I'm on my yoga mat, like there's just this very unique sense of peace and I'm in my body and I'm, you know, it's helped establish better, um, like body image in a relationship with myself as a whole. And I can hear you being like, well, that always exists. Like your yoga mat is just like a trigger or it's an associative, um, Mm -hmm. element to it. But when in reality you can practice that at any time. So Um, I think that is a really important point. So for someone who has never heard of life coaching um, or confused about the difference between traditional therapy, how would you explain it and how is it different? It's such a great question and such an important one. Um, You know, the life coaching field is one that has grown very quickly, just like sort of the yoga um, field, if you will, has. Um, and it's also one in which it's a relatively new field. So it's pretty new in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and, in, and then there's also a very vast sort of difference. Like you hear about life coaches who do very specific things, or they only do this, or they work with this type of person. And so um, one of the best analogies that I've heard about what is life coaching compared to what is therapy or counseling is that the analogy is life coaching is the therapy as personal training is to physical therapy. So Mm. if you had an injury in your body, you would first go to physical therapy so that they could identify the wound, (laughs) identify the injury, and then figure out like, what do we need to do to make therapeutically to to heal that wound, Mm. to heal that injury. And that's fine. Like, you know, and this is to me where um, coaching sort of arose out of a place where a lot of people were actually exploring therapy and counseling and going like, Oh, I don't have to carry this stuff around with my, me throughout my life. So therapy kind of brings us back to that, like, well, neutral place. Life coaching, like personal training is kind of like, I'm good. I'm healthy. No injuries. Right. Um, yeah. Could I feel better? Could I feel stronger? Could I be able to do particular things that I want to achieve? And that's where coaching comes in. And I do think that coaching is 
is has arisen in this very particular time in our in humanity, which is the shifting of consciousness because people are asking those questions of like, is this all we're capable of? Right. From the individual level to like the greater level. So I love that analogy because to me it makes so much sense. But what's also interesting about it is that just like a personal trainer, if you go to a personal trainer and you, you know, they can give you all the workouts, they can help you learn how to do things. But like, if you don't then incorporate that or integrate it into your own life, mm-hmm. it's not really going to have the desired effect or the outcome. So it's, it isn't just the coaches and doing the work. A good coach is asking the right questions and helping you to see the work that's needed so that you yeah. can do that on your own. Right. And as I was kind of thinking about my own experience with you, and as I was, you know, jotting down that specific question, I was, I, I've always said this to anyone who asks, I'm like, I I was in traditional therapy for six plus years and you mm-hmm. changed my life 10 times over in six months. Um, and so obviously every person is different and I think it just depends on the individual and what, and what they need. But, you know, I think for me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was like traditional therapy therapy kept me very rooted in the past and like wanting to analyze my upbringing and my relationship with my parents, which is all fine and good and necessary the majority of the time in order to like take that initial look at yourself and why you're kind of operating the way that you are. But I think once you uncover then th- that, then there's only so much you can do to rehash the past. And, and obviously you and I have worked with that same foundation too, but it's almost like, okay, let's, let's be more forward thinking and like kind of what is it that you want from here? Totally. Yeah. And you know, and that's the thing is, and I do have clients who say that thing, that exact thing to me, which is sort Mm -hmm. of like, you know, this has been so much more useful, so much more helpful. And I, I say, I never lead with that. Like you would never find that on my website. Like, I, because the thing is, right. is the time and a place for therapy and counseling a hundred percent. I've been there many times yeah. throughout my life, you know? Yeah. Um, and will be again, probably I have no doubt, right? Like this is, these are the supports of life, but there can be an experience, which is, and this is where I feel like, at least from my perspective and where I integrate sort of the philosophy of yoga and meditation, which is this idea that like, the idea that we are undoing layers of identity in order to recognize the truth of who we are. And in, in sort of when we go back and explore and, and when the time is done to explore, mm-hmm. there's actually a distinct feeling of like, I just feel like I'm sitting here in almost like further solidifying this identity that I'm actually mm-hmm. ready to be done with. Mm-hmm. So by all means, it's a place to go because that's the place where you have to begin the healing. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that there's a distinct shift when people are like the healing has occurred or enough healing has occurred. This isn't a, a, a wanting to bypass that or avoid it. In fact, it's like, I've, I've looked at it, I've explored it. I've gone through the process. And now I'm ready to let it go and, and, or for it to let go of me. And so mm-hmm. there is this underlying wish to be like, who can I be? Not mm-hmm. so much who am I or how did I get here? Cause you and I talk about that a lot and I do with all my clients. Like we look at, this is who I am as a result of the conditioning that was developed within me by me mm-hmm. in relationship to the world. Mm-hmm. And yet we've discovered that like that conditioning can be changed, that wiring can be changed. And Mm. so it really is about the potential of me. Who could I be? Who can I become if these things weren't defining me? And so that does require us to sometimes go back, but only from the mindset of like, okay, we get it. This is where that, where that roots down into, like, this is where that was established. But now that we understand what, what's the story, what's the habit, what's the pattern of thinking then we can look at, and this is the, more of the inner work, then we can look at undoing that patterning, undoing that material that really limits who we think we can be. Yeah. And I mean, all of that um, sounds amazing. And it, you know, it, it does sound like very abstract. So for someone who needs a little bit more tangibility, did I just make yeah. up that word? I don't know. I, so, what are some kind of like hands-on exercises or tools, tangible tools that you use in order to create those shifts or to help your clients create those shifts for themselves? 
Yeah. And so, well, let me backtrack too, because I realized I, yeah. I only, only partially answered that question because I did sort mm -hmm. of dive right into the inner work side of things. So often as a coach, and you did ask about this, sort of the external and the internal. Mm -hmm. So the other thing about coaching that is very different than therapy is it is about like establishing, like, this is what I want in my life. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to experience. And then about and those things can be external things or they can mm -hmm. be more internally based things. And so the coach's role is to say, all right, let's make that happen. How are we going to do that? Like, let's figure out what those goals are. Let's figure out what the steps are going to be in order to get you there. And then let's uh, support you when those steps are harder than you thought they were going to be, or they don't take you in the path that you thought they were going to take you in. So th there's a bit of that, not just accountability, but kind of just the coaching along the way. Because the thing is, is that when we want something to change externally, it could be totally true that just those external things need to change. So like just, I want to change my job or I want to be in a different relationship or whatever those things are. But often without looking at the internal stuff, we end up in a different job or a different relationship, having the same experience of ourselves, having this, we just hit the same material again. Yeah. And so, um, so I often feel like the, the, the pairing of those two things that really helps people find their way into the lives that they're really wishing for. So some tangible tools. Um, and I'm trying to think of, um, a lot of the work that I do, and it, again, it depends on the people that I'm working with because mm -hmm. some people come in who have um, a mind-body practice of some kind, so they're much more able to connect into themselves. But a lot of the work that I do is about helping people kind of access their internal experience and mm -hmm. connect into um, what they're feeling inside um, because that's where like the habit resides. That's where the conditioning kind of activates in our body. Mm -hmm. um and body compass so yes exactly so the body compass <laughs> Love the body is compass. yeah it's a tool that um I learned with Martha Beck and as you know I always teach it with my own little sort of twist on it mm -hmm. so the body compass is a way to begin to feel into um you know when we're in different situations if we're doing different tasks if we're in, um interacting with different people we can kind of feel down into the body. Does this feel another Martha Beck term, which I love? I think I shared this with you recently, which is, does this feel shackles on or does it feel shackles off? Mm -hmm. So language I might use also, is, do you feel contracted or does it feel expansive? Mm -hmm. And the idea that, you know, us in our most natural state as conscious beings, we're completely expansive. And so, you know, it's not that we go into life looking for only the things that make us feel that way. Mm -hmm. It's actually about undoing the things in us that get activated that create that contracted state. Mm. That makes sense. So it's yeah. about undoing those barriers, the things that the habituated responses internally that are happening in relationship to the world, but that's the reaction versus the ability to find neutral and then respond. That makes sense. Yeah. It does. And I remember, I remember the first time we talked about that and just for a little context for people, because I think the different terms between contracted and expansive can be, uh, again, a little abstract. But um, I remember when we were talking about it and what came to mind as we were doing the body compass under those two different terms was I was like, because I always feel things in my chest. Mm -hmm. And so I imagined this like ball of yarn that yes. like, you, or like what, like, do you remember like the peanuts and how they like, I don't know, there was always this like, you know, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. dirt the, that was, I dust, don't know. The dust, like the dust, um, what is it? I'm like thinking of, um, what is the ball of twine that rolls across the old west? What is it? Like, like tumbleweed. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> it was like, that was in my chest. And then as I started to, I continued on the work and the, the getting to more of the expansive state was like, oh, that like ball of yarn was like unraveling. And it was like, or like when you have a necklace that's tied in knots and you like gradually, you know, start to yeah. like take it apart so that it's not tangled anymore. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to give a little context for that because I know that, you know, even sometimes I, when I think about expansion, it, it's, it's a hard mm -hmm. thing to kind of wrap your head around, but and I, obviously you can't, that's the mind wanting to do that. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it wants And I was to. just going to say that like so much of it and that's what's, and you know, it's, hard because I tend to talk in these like big things people are like what is that even it's like they kind of have yeah. a sense of but but 
we can truly only learn through experience. And so as you discovered, like, you know, as we talked, like, what does that feel like in there? And, and over after a little bit of time, you're like, it feels like this super tight, like ball of yarn. And then you understood that. And then we could talk about, you know, what does it feel like as that's loosening up and as that's unwinding and as you're, as more space is coming in there. Um, but it is, it's, it's only conceptual until there's some experiential um, opportunity that allows us to then understand that knowledge. And this is, I mean, this happens all the time, right? We read books and it's like, you can read books that are about this type of material and it's like right. only a quarter of it lands. And then you're like, I don't know what this means. And then you read it right. again and all of a sudden there's like, aha, how did I miss this before? Because mm -hmm. you have yeah. new material, new experiences to connect that with. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, and I know I've personally started rereading some of my you know, spiritual books like that because of, I think we had talked about that before. And I was like, ah, oh, some of the ones that really resonated with me, I want to like, I want to see what other nuggets I can find in yeah. this. But um, so you mentioned, you know, you, you threw around some really key phrases that I want to dive a little bit deeper in, and that being like the truth of who we are and consciousness and awareness and, um, you know, kind of shedding conditioning and mental patterns and, before I go into my next question, I want to say, like, I think having a coach in a journey like this is really important. And, um, you might have some additional thoughts to add, but because I think that as human beings, it's really, the ego doesn't like to kind of shed old layers. Correct. Like, I think mm -hmm. that that, um, can be really scary to us to like, release identities that might not be serving us. Um, so what do you find when working with clients kind of tends to be the most common blocks that you see? Mm, that's a really good question. You know, and it's, it's, um, you know, you and I have worked together for three years and it's interesting because mm -hmm. even that has been a shift, as you know, like I would say at the beginning of our work together was a lot more of that, like, you were speaking about inner experiences, but we were doing a bit more like, let's change these things. How do we tweak your life to make things better? And now mm -hmm. as we've been doing more ongoing practice work together, it's like this, mm -hmm. I guess the reason I'm saying this, because this type of inner work, this like recognizing these identities that are holding me back and, mm -hmm. and, and working to undo those things takes a lifetime. I mean, it, it is an oh, yeah. ongoing work, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not this sense of like, going to happen in an instant. Um, but that being said, I would say that the, the number one thing that holds everyone back, I would say, is it's fear. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, the, the ego in particular, the, the ego does not want to let go of identity. It's not even like an if is it does not really want to. It's like it does not because the ego, the, the recognition of who I am in the world um, is so tethered to these identities that it feels like it keeps me intact. It feels like it mm -hmm. keeps me solid. Like um, if, if I were to let go of this part of my identity, who would I be? And that's very scary to the ego. The truth is we don't know, right? That, right. that don't know, even the expression don't know, it's even triggering to my mind, right? Like I actually yeah. just felt something in my stomach kind of go like, oh, well, you don't know, you don't know something. Right, right. Because, <laughs> and that's why we don't, you know, it's like, well, if I'm not this, if I'm not this identity, then who am I? Who or what mm -hmm. am I? How do I exist? How do I show up to the world? Because we have spent so much time solidifying that. I mean, as you know, I have kids, right? I want young kids and you watch like the process of them becoming like mm -hmm. becoming these individuals becoming their names their identities this is who i am in the world this is how i operate that's actually necessary right we have to do that we have to individuate and become these individuals in the world mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that except that when we shape those ideas around um not necessarily untrue experiences of ourselves but when we shape those ideas at some point in our life they start to create more suffering because mm -hmm. we're still trying to operate as if that's the only thing that's true. So I would say no matter who the person is, it's sort of like, you know, I've worked with folks, for example, I had a client who I loved working with and um, he was an attorney and he talked about often 
experiencing feeling like he was always on the edge of panic. But that showed up not just in work or in actual stressful situations, but like in very like pleasant situations, like interacting with people in social life. And, um, and he was really just tired of that and, and operating at the edge of panic is connected to his identity of, I have to have this thing running inside of me or I'm not going to be successful. I'm not going to do my best. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to make it to the next thing. And so where it started to just take over, it just infiltrated his mm. whole way of operating. And so we were work with like, where's that showing up? How to, how to begin to step back from that edge of panic? How do we discover what's in there if you're not operating up there? And so it's a process of, you know, working with an individual to begin to explore. But each place along the way, each step back is like, there's fear that comes up because it's like, mm-hmm. well, I can't, I can't not operate that way. Right. Who will I be if I'm not operating that way? And then right. you step it back a little bit more. So it's a gradual process. Um, and, it, and by necessity, it's gradual. Yeah. And I mean, just hearing you say that, and I think we've even talked about this before, is that, you know, I can completely relate. Like, I think that, you know, I would probably chalk it up that I'm a slightly anxious person. And especially when it comes to work-related things and um, professional achievements and, and everything like that, which I think can stem back to, um, even like high school is like, I felt like I needed this underlying sense of anxiety in order to do and achieve and, you know, check the box. And it created this kind of like urgency, but also this, um, intrinsic motivation. Um, and I remember Mm -hmm. having a session with you and, and and it was almost like coming to the conclusion of like, even if I didn't have that anxiety, I would still do the things, but the journey to doing the things would be, there would be more freedom in that because I wouldn't feel like I needed to like attach to this sense of anxiety in order to drive me. Exactly. And that is something that one, we never even question, right? Mm -hmm. We never even get down to like, where's that coming from? Like, Oh, it came from like, actually, it feels like motivation. Initially, mm-hmm. it gives me a little bit of fire. Like if I feel this sense of urgency, but then it flips over and it becomes super dominant. But then not only, not only do I have a sense of ease now, right? Like now I can do the thing without that feeling and I'm still doing the thing. So it gives me that freedom. But what's amazing too, is it also then creates so much more possibility. There's so much more potential that enters. Mm-hmm. because I'm not only operating in this one path of habit. I'm not just here. I have now infinite paths, infinite ways I could respond to this, infinite ways I can be in relationship to this thing. Yeah. Instead of just this one predetermined habit that has been just operating inside of me. Yeah. And I want to go on like a slight um, tangent with all of this and kind of talk more about physical goals. Cause a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, who read healthified or who have been following me for years, um, you know, very interested in the physical side of things, whether that's, they want to be exercising more, they want to be eating healthier. And, you know, when I was health coaching, I realized very quickly, um, and this is where I got more into the mindset side of things simultaneously with the nutritional science, but almost in all of my clients, I was like, this isn't about the food, right? Like there is something and kind of working with you allowed me to have insight after insight and working with my clients on the health side of things, because it was like, no, we need to go a bit bit deeper. Like there's Mm -hmm. some resistance, there's blocks, like, and everyone who came to me for health coaching, um, 90% of the time on that first initial consult, they'd say, I know what to do, but for some reason I can't do it or mm-hmm. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I have to feed children, etc." Um, so it's like one of those things where there's something else that is preventing them from establishing healthier habits. And for a lot of people that was like, even though consciously they'd be like, no, I want to change. But like subconsciously they were almost like holding on to this identity because that is just what they've been doing for their entire lives or for the majority of their adult life. So can you talk to me a bit about that? Because I I imagine you work with clients who do want to make change in the physical side of things. Um, So yeah, talk to me about Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting thing. And I, I love that you, you know, we're able to incorporate 
and just have that understanding with your own clients because again mm -hmm. that's where if you could work all day on the surface or even like you talked about earlier about like I have no plan like I have no plan when I'm working with clients that sounds crazy but I may have a general idea of what we're work, going to work with but it's always about responding to the people in the moment with whatever's mm -hmm. arising because you could have just stayed right up here and be like well here's another thing for you to do but if they're telling you like that's not the problem. That's not the issue. Like, I know what I should be eating, but I'm not. I know what I should be doing, but I'm not. For you to be able to, like, explore, like, well, why? What's the thing that's keeping me from doing that? And like you said, it can very much be. And this, you know, even though rationally you're going to be like, no, of course I want to become a different person. Of course I want to be more fit. Or of course I want to yeah. feel better. Of course I want to eat differently. Um, but at a subconscious or an unconscious level, there's going to be something operating there that is um, preventing you from taking those actions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when I'm working with folks, I really, I like to really get down to what is that thing? What, what is really at play there? Because as you know, one of my favorite quotes is until you make the unconscious conscious, it directs your life and you call it fate. But what we're doing is trying to go like, what's, what is actually being told? What is, and what is that connected to? So that we can start to undo that or even just see it. Because once you see it, you're like, that's not true. Like I actually do want the thing. So right. that this unconscious thing isn't preventing you from taking the conscious action that you want to take. So a lot of it is that, but in all honesty too, some of it is just straight up like the discipline. Well, let me back up before the discipline it's the really connecting into the why. Why do you want to make this change? Mm -hmm. Because when you go down that rabbit hole of why, why do you want that? And why do you want that? And why do you want that? You get to the root of what someone's really wishing for. And that actually mm -hmm. has, is actually based on how they want to feel, mm -hmm. how they want to feel in their life, how they want to mm -hmm. feel in a relationship, how they want to feel moving through their day. And when you get to the why, this like central understanding, when you can tether your actions, the choices that you make to that why, it's, it's a lot more likely that you're going to take the action versus not understanding that. And then, then you're just like, no, I want to sleep in 10 more minutes or no, I need to just get something quick and easy to eat. Or you see what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah, sort of, like it's about it's, the number on the scale. Like that's not very, you know, right. Right. And so like, if someone's like, if you get down to the why is like, actually, I just want to feel like I have more energy because when, by the time I'm done with my work day, like I don't have time for my partner, or I just can't muster the energy to play with my kids or whatever that is. Like when you get to that, it's let, it's never about the number on the scale or the size of my clothes or the whatever. It's really not. It's actually right. about how I want to feel in relationship to myself and in mm -hmm. relationship to the world. So once you get that, though, I do think a lot of times it is about like just straight up discipline and discipline, not from a rigid sense, but like mm -hmm. one of the books I love um, is uh, by a guy named James Clear, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Oh, I read and it. He has. Oh, it's great, right? It's yeah. Yeah. Super useful. I read it because you told me about it. Yeah, it was super great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things I love is he has some super cool little like hacks on like creating habits and sticking with them. And this is where mm -hmm. sort of the discipline comes in because he talks about, for example, something like habit stacking. Like we all, there's all stuff that we do every day that like we do automatically, like brushing our teeth, right? Most of us mm -hmm. brush our teeth every day. We just do it. Um, and that's a habit that we just created at some point along the way. So say you're working to like maybe incorporate a different type of supplement into your nutritional regime. <laughs> um, mm -hmm put your supplements next to your toothbrush. So like brush your teeth and then you take your supplement. Yeah. Or, you know, another thing I really encourage for people too is often we'll get an idea, say like it's physical movement. Say I need to get in shape. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to start running. Well, I, I actually enjoy running now. I didn't enjoy it all my life, but I do really enjoy it now. But if I started running and I absolutely did not like it, guess what I'm not going to do? Right. 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 So part of it too is, is you need to find something that feels enjoyable in terms of just moving your body and getting, getting your heart rate elevated. Like what is mm -hmm. something that you could do that gets your heart rate up and then do that thing enough that you start to feel the positive. I call it like the positive looping. 
you start to actually feel the positive benefit. And you know this mm -hmm. with food. Initially, people don't feel the immediate shift of like, oh, my, I actually feel more alive, more vitality. I'm more awake mm -hmm. when I eat these foods. Mm -hmm. But you, it takes a bit of time to get into that positive looping. And then once you're in it, like you get it, you're like, I'm going to go exercise because even though I might feel tired, I don't really want to do it. I know I'm doing it because that's the thing that gives me the good energy. I'm going to eat these foods because it supports me. I'm going to yeah. take my supplements because they do the thing. I'm going to drink my water, whatever it is. Yeah. But it, it yeah. can take, it's not just instant, you know? So there does, it does require some of that knowledge, but then the discipline to follow through until you do feel that. You can feel both the positive or the negative um, sort of looping of the effect of not doing those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can also, the same can be said even for negative habits that you want to change and just mm -hmm. having consciousness for that stacking or those triggers, um, you know, like, for example, like whenever I get home at night, like I know I'm going to want a glass of wine. Right. But it's like, that is a habit I'm trying to decrease. So I'm yeah. conscious about it. And then I can start to have that inner dialogue, that conversation. Um, and you know, then I get, you know, really down to, um, the like why, and it's like, Oh, it like helps me wind down or whatever, but it's like other things yes. can serve that purpose. Totally. But that's what, that's where the discipline comes in because then it's like, okay, I can either choose the thing that I've been doing, even though I want to change it, or I can have awareness for the fact that like something else can serve the same purpose. So I'm going to choose that, that instead. Yes. And that is, this is just such a perfect example because it is about noticing what do I really want from this? What is this giving me? Because we're always seeking something, right? Like right. we're usually moving away from some kind of discomfort and there's a thing that's going to give us that thing. Yeah. But a lot of times it's fleeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing though, too, that, that's really important is that, um, you know, when you begin to recognize sort of the cause and effect of, um, and I enjoy a glass of wine, trust me, but like the, the feeling of how I feel after, or even like the next morning or over time after consuming that glass of wine, however many times, like mm -hmm. that recognition of, oh, like it might feel, that, and this is what we're, as a culture, we're so obsessed with instant gratification. Right. We might get, and that's tricky because we get the instant feeling, but the, the end result is actually worse than where we started. <laughs> like, right. Right. And the same is true is like, if I don't get up and exercise or if I don't, you know, go out for a walk, like no one ever feels worse after going to move their body. No one ever right. feels worse after, you know, choosing to dr drink more water instead of having the glass of wine, like right. for the long term, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so you're right. That is where the discipline comes in. But what I wanted to mention also is when, and you and I've talked about this quite a bit, when we begin to recognize the, the pain of the choice or the mm -hmm. habit, it's only when we actually wake up to the, the pain that that causes us internally or externally mm -hmm. that we're then willing to go against the habit because the habit is easier. Yeah. The habit will always be easier. That's why it's called a habit, right? Like right. I just do it because I could be on autopilot. Right. But when we start to go, like there's a reason you're choosing to drink less wine. What's the choice? Right. Why are you choosing that? So that I can feel mentally clear, more clear the next day. And so my sleep can improve. Good. I those things. Right. <laughs> so when you start, when you remember like the, the mental lack of clarity, the fogginess, yeah. the disrupted sleep and what that does. Yeah. When you really feel it, then you're like, Oh wait, I don't want that actually. Right. And then you choose, because again, it's, it's a little harder to choose the other thing. Right. Because right. we like our habits, and, even if yes. they're uncomfortable. <laughs> and this is where it's helped me to even like quantify it by time. So for example, like let's use the example of um, someone who's emotionally eating. And, you know, when someone emotionally eats, they're not choosing grilled chicken and hard-boiled eggs. It's usually the like refined carbohydrates, sugary things. Mm -hmm. And so let's just say it's a sleeve of Oreos. Okay. So if someone's going to like, but they know that if they were to eat that way or eat that amount of the sugary refined carbohydrate, that they are going to feel bad physically and emotionally for like hours afterwards. Right. 
-hmm. So it's like, let's say eating a sleeve of Oreos for an emotional eater would take 20 to 30 minutes. And then, but the aftermath is five Mm. hours. So that's where it's been like, do I want the good feeling? Do I want to avoid the five hours of physical discomfort and emotional pain? Or do I want the 20 minutes of eating the thing? So it's yeah. almost like when you kind of put it that way, you can just say like, yes, we want instant gratification, but we really should be putting more value on the hour long aftermath of totally. whether we choose or don't, don't choose. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's so complicated because on one hand it's yeah. like, you know, as you know, this expression, I often say like everything we do, everything we choose is in exchange for something else. Like if we choose this, we're not choosing or like, so, and, and so that's right. You can say like, I'm going to choose the Oreos and you know what, today I'm choosing the Oreos or whatever, but like recognizing that like, I know this is coming, but I'm choosing that. But yeah, but, or saying, and I, it's funny because I'm like, I am not, I will, I eat desserts. I love my food. I, you know, whatever. But like, I, I have found this, like this interesting thing that's sort of occurred for me, which is like, I got these cookies the other day from milk bar (laughs) and they sell them Target now. I'm like, Oh, great. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And, um, but like, the, yeah, the former CFO of Health Warrior, who I worked with, is um, now their CFO. So I've, I've heard oh, about really? that company. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, I picked up a box of cookies, and I was like, I had one the other day, and I was like, it's good, but, like, it's not the best cookie I've ever had. And now, granted, like, at their bake shop, I'm sure it's a totally different story. But, right. but it was just this moment of, like, is this worth it? Right. Like, is this, is this the thing I want to eat right now? And, like, it actually wasn't. Like, it just – it it didn't even taste that good. Like it was, yeah. I don't know. It was just this moment of like, if I were to choose to eat something that I know might not make me feel great. And that's the thing is that sometimes like, I know, like I'm going to go out to dinner and I'm going to have the dessert and I'm going to have a glass mm-hmm. of wine or two. And I know that I'm not mm-hmm. going to feel awesome. Actually, but like, I'm going to enjoy this experience for what it yes. is. That's a conscious choice though. Mm-hmm. Versus yeah. saying like, no, it's not worth it. Like this isn't the thing I actually want. And I'm going to put it down because I can choose that. And as you know, often I say like every, in every moment we're making a choice. It's either a conscious one or an unconscious one. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to say to you though is is the tricky part. And this is where, again, you get this little bit of an intersection between like therapy and counseling and coaching is like, what if I'm eating the thing because I I don't think I deserve to feel good. Mm. what if I'm eating the thing because I don't believe that I have enough worth or value to feel great. And if Mm. someone's not seeing that in there, then they're not going to make those choices. Mm. And so there's a place where it's like, what, what can support that exploration? And some of what I do with folks can support that. And some, some can't depends on where someone is at with things, but I just think, you know, I was listening to, um, I'm going to forget her full name right now, but uh, she just wrote the book called uh, The Body is Not an Apology. And mm-hmm. uh, it's awesome. She's an uh, interview with Brene Brown. It's like blowing my mind right now. It's amazing because uh-huh. it's really about all the stuff we're talking about. But she was talking about, um, it's called, it's basically about radical self-love. And it's just this idea that like, we don't experience love for ourselves in any form you know, um, but, and, and so when that's at the root of the decisions I'm making, if it's not coming from radical self-love, right. And we're not going to make the choices that support us or that actually make us feel better. Yeah. And I talked a lot about that in my health coaching practice too. And and we could even do a whole new, another conversation on self-love, but because it was like, you know, think about something that you don't like very much, like an old piece of furniture or like a sweater or something like you're not really going to care how you treat it. And so I always saw this common theme with, um, and my health coaching clients is that, you know, they were not coming from a place of self-love. It was, it was mostly, um, a feeling of undeservedness or unworthiness or what have you. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that is just the foundation for, um, so much of this work. And when you can kind of make that shift and it's not easy, you know? It's not. And Sarah, I think too, if you make such a good point too, because on either end, right, like we're talking about the Oreos versus like mm-hmm. a different option, like either choice needs to come from love because right. either choice, if it's coming from actually a, 
a form of self-judgment, criticism, self-hate is not going to be the right choice. Like either it's going to be too restrictive, too like by like too rigid, too inflexible, or it's going to be the thing that doesn't serve me here either. So like whatever end of the spectrum we're talking about, if the choice isn't coming from love or a feeling of love, then it's not, it's not going to serve you. Right. Exactly. And, and that even just from a physiological perspective, just is surrounded with the, the stress response, which doesn't do your body or energy any favors. This is, this totally. is what, you know, the, the book is about, which yeah, I'll, I'll finish it in like five years, but, um, maybe <laughs> a few more sessions. I can't wait. Too, and who knows? I might have it published. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the time that we have, um, we've, thrown around the word consciousness a lot. And so um, if you could kind of explain that a little bit further and, you know, whether it's like our consciousness, awareness, being in the present, like, is that all the same thing or is it just kind of its whole other entity? That's a good question. So, you know, there's sort of, there's like lower case C consciousness and there's uppercase C consciousness. And even, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about this, like a lot of yoga trainings, they talk about the lowercase S self, uppercase S, and that's the same it's the same different words same pointing in the same direction um same with when i use awareness capital a awareness and what i mean by that is it's it's so we are we are capital c conscious beings expressing through these human forms we as human beings we are both these humans and we are also conscious beings that's Mm. expressing through and our our conditioning, and this is sort of like, you know, you're here in yoga talking about removing the layers of the onion. This is the removing of the layers of the identity, the personality, the habits, the, all that conditioned stuff that keeps, that diminishes the consciousness from coming through. Mm -hmm. If you think of consciousness, you'll hear the word light sometimes, right? If you think of it as literally like a light, there's that beautiful Maya Angelou quote, let nothing dim the light that shines from within. We are all gifted every single thing that lives in the world life itself is gifted with that and Mm -hmm. in in the human form we all kinds of material diminishes it yeah and all kinds of that material it's possible to dissolve it to undo it and we know this experience right it's like we you we've all had interactions with people where they walk into the room and you're just like oh yeah they're just pure or very close to pure consciousness expressing in that human form it's mm. still that person but something something of a different quality is yeah. coming through yeah yeah that's yeah. a really good point and then you can have the opposite response too when you just kind of like you're like eh, i'm kind of getting some bad vibes and i'm gonna stay very far yeah away. yeah yes and the thing sure. is is to have the compassion knowing that like that's just that much more material dimming their light yeah. And they could work for a lifetime and perhaps never access it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I know we don't have too much time yet. And mm-hmm. again, this could be a whole other conversation, <laughs> but so tell me a little bit about meditation and kind of what that all has to do with it. So in the way that I've been taught, my teacher, Pat Buxton is, um, mm-hmm. uh, she has taught me a practice that is this different it's not a technique based meditation and as you know in yoga there's a lot of different like types and techniques around meditation like you can do mantra you can hold an image um mm-hmm. that kind of thing those are all utilizing the mind so they're all a form of meditation that can create a state by use of the mind mm-hmm. this awareness based practice is about accessing the awareness through the attention which is actually not using the mind it's the attempt to move the attention away from the mind to something else, which is the experience that we're living in, right? Like the felt experience of the body, the breath, sounds, mm-hmm. all of it. So in this type of practice, either way, either way, you're, you, through meditation, you can begin to have an, an experience of yourself that is more spacious, more expansive, mm-hmm. more like the state of consciousness. Um, but in the practice that I teach, it is not a um, method that we're sort of utilizing the mind to access that um, because it, that can create, can kind of inhibit in the end, it can inhibit sort of the, the full 
state of consciousness when the mind has mm-hmm. to be involved in some capacity. So in this, there's a, a potential to you know, work with bringing the attention to the present moment. See, there's that word again. The present moment can be felt. We feel it in the body. We sense the breath. We notice that there are sounds. It allows us to be here now. It's so mm-hmm. rare that we have any moments where we're actually in the moment. We're always thinking about the moment or we're thinking right. about the past or we're thinking about the future. Yes. And so it's this practice in which you are w- learning to train the attention by coming into the experience again, and then the mind takes over, and then you come back, and then back, and then again, in the repetition, over and over again. Mm-hmm. So eventually the mind begins to relax out a little bit, and then you just, you're in the moment. You're just staying in this ongoing unfolding of the experience. That allows us to have a, an experience of ourselves that's quite different than the habituated conditioned self that operates in the world. And so that's, you know, in the, the, the foundation of being able to identify stories, patterns, ways that I respond, habituated ways that I'm interacting with my world. It's not a requirement to do that inner work, but it's such mm-hmm. an amazing opportunity to begin to learn um, and, and to have a, a, a practice that enables us to really nourish our whole system, to nourish the body, to nourish the nervous system, mm-hmm. um, and to really recognize that, like, everything that I'm saying here isn't necessarily true. I don't have to right. believe all of it. Right, right. I actually started doing this thing this morning where in my meditation and in my shower, I was drafting emails. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not sitting in front of my computer. Like, there's no need for me to be drafting this email in my head right now. So I, I named it and I just said drafting. And then I was like, got back to the being. Yeah. But, you know, I think that there's this misconception with meditation that it's about clearing your mind completely when that's not it. It's just a practice mm-hmm. of noticing and then bringing it back. Totally. Totally. So my, one of my final questions for you is, um, you know, just kind of real quick, if someone is listening to this and they're like realizing that they might feel stuck in their life and and they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily, they can't name why, um, what sort of tips would you give, um, in order to take steps forward to getting unstuck? a great question. I mean, you know, some people are very clear on what they're stuck on or where or what they want, mm-hmm. but they can't get it there, you know, and yeah. they need help in that respect. And so they actually have a little bit more clarity on like, I need to do this thing or I, you know, which still could utilize the support of a coach in some capacity. But a lot of people can just feel this generalized feeling of stuckness of like, like I kind of call it the like, is this as good as it gets kind of the like I've done, I've checked yeah. all the boxes. So why do I feel like this? Cause I certainly thought I would feel different. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that without, you know, seeking the support of a coach, there's some things that they can do just from an exploration perspective. One of the first things I do think is often the most important is like, you know, how uh, I guess the question would be sort of like, what do you want to feel in your life? Like if, if mm-hmm. this isn't feeling right, instead of trying to identify, like, why do I feel like this? In other words, how do I want to feel? Yeah. Because we tend to go like, I don't want to feel like this anymore, but we can't actually define like, well, how do I want to feel? What do I want to be experiencing? Um, because we're just in that, I call it the horse blinders. It's like, this is all I know is possible. And so I just bounce between these walls of like, this is it. It's how I have to feel like, so if right. you can begin to push that out, just widen it out a little bit, like, you know, often you'll hear questions like if money wasn't an issue, if time wasn't an issue, if there weren't these barriers that we tell ourselves and some of those things are very true. But if, if I could tell myself for a moment, nothing was getting in the way, who would I be? What would I be doing? What would my experience be? It's that, that is what opens up the potential for us to begin to see like, what am I really craving? If if this doesn't feel good here, what is it that I'm wishing for? Mm -hmm. And then you can begin to work on like, what is it that I need to do? What are the changes I need to make? What do, what are the, you know, and this is, it's an ongoing work. Like, you know, again, it's not an instant, like I figured it out, you know, Um, but I, I would say just that Mm self-exploration. There's also a great one. Like one of the things I love to ask people a lot is people will say like, Oh, well I would do this, but everyone will say, or Mm. everyone will think. And there's a great question, which is just like, who is everyone? Right. And most times people are like, 
what do you mean? Who is everyone? And they're like, no, who is everyone? Who are you actually talking about? And people usually can count on one hand or even like two or three people like, oh, it's actually this kid from junior, junior high school. It's this person from my first job. And it's, and it's my, you know, mom or whatever. Like, it's like those, it's like we're fearing the judgment or we're fearing, right? So it just, it's helpful to begin to see like, who am I trying to please right now? Who am I making these choices for? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love both of those things. And I would say even, um, I would, you know, encourage people based on what you, the first thing you were talking about is just to like put pen to paper. And one thing that really um, impacted me that we did together was the ideal day exercise. And Mm -hmm. um, I still do it like every six months just to make sure that things are, yeah. So, um, you know, for a quick rundown of that, it's just like, how do I want to feel? And then like, what is my ideal day? Like not on vacation, like you're not sitting in a beach drinking a margarita, but this is like, you know, your ideal day out in the world. So um, I call it the ideal Wednesday now. Oh, that's science. a good like, one. This is an ideal Wednesday. It's the middle of the ideal week. hump day. <laughs> yeah. <Hump> day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So my final question that I ask everybody I talk to, because I have a fascination with morning routines um, and I love hearing different morning routines is Ellie, what is your morning routine? It's probably going to be the worst, most boring morning routine. With of that's all what makes a routine doing. a routine. Sometimes, no, I, it's sure. pretty much non-existent. In all honesty, <laughs> well, no, I can't say that. Okay, so um, my morning routine is I am awakened by one of my three children, <laughs> usually <laughs> before I'm ready to be awake, and then we sort of like pe- all the people come in to the room every once in a while this has become a new thing which I'm loving my husband will make me a coffee and bring it up and that's like been great um and then I mean my morning routine honestly like um now now with virtual school and all of that includes me um making breakfast for my kids getting them situated and then if I'm home I do a workout with my favorite gym in town, our VA performance training. Mm-hmm. Um, I drink coffee. I do my workout, um, drink my water. And then I usually, I'm not like a strict intermittent faster, but I, I usually eat my breakfast later in the morning. Yeah. Um, and those things are all like kind of critical pieces to my day. Like I need to get movement in in the morning in some way. I've learned I have to be a lot more flexible about when I do that prior to the shut down, I would get up much earlier and I'd exercise. I'd go work out or run before six. Um, Same thing, have my coffee, that kind of thing. This set, it like really sets my tone for the day energetically, physically, mentally, for sure. Um, But it's not anything fancy. I don't meditate in the morning. Like I just don't like right now sleep's so important. So I just wait till I'm awakened and that's how we roll these days. Well, and I think that's important for people to hear and that like, you know, during this chapter right now, like that's what um, your mornings look like. And that's not to say that they'll always look like that or you won't be able to, you know, reintegrate your meditation practice or what have Mm -hmm. you. But I think, you know, caffeine and movement, like, boom, I think that's Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Because I think people get this idea that like, if I don't do these things, I just wrote a little Instagram post about it. Like I got, you see it really attached to like, I've got to have these, and you and I have talked about this before, like I need to have these things all in place or like everything's going to fall apart. And maybe at one point in my life, like that might've been true. And I really did need this sort of discipline or this rigidity around creating those habits. But Mm -hmm. I'm at a point now where I'm like, it's going to be okay. Like I'm going to do the things I need to do. And I do prioritize those things. They just might not happen in the exact order or when I'm expecting them to and all of that. But I still do, as I was describing recently, like the, the container of my schedule has to be very flexible, but the contents of that container have to be inflexible. In other words, they have, I have to have these very critical things to my self-care regimen, um, being more flexible when and how and what that looks like. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really good point for sure. And probably something that a lot of people need to hear. Um, okay. So how can people find you? Um, I am, (laughs) so I have a website, elliburke.life. Um, and also on Instagram at elliburkelife. Um, I'm on Facebook too, but pretty much Facebook is like a I just feed everything over there from Instagram. I really, really yeah. enjoy Instagram a lot in terms of um, 
just it's just a great format. Um, I also just started a Patreon, um, which I'm really excited yes, about, yeah. which is, um, you know, for membership community. Um, so there's different tiers. One starts at the $5 level and it's a weekly meditation. So I do a short meditation each week and then people have access to those, you know, the, all the pre-recorded ones. Um, and then I also have some short, short format yoga classes for folks right now, especially they're like no longer than 25 minutes. So they're short, like just quick address particular body areas, um, and then longer classes too. So I'm actually really excited about that too. Um, it's been a kind of a fun thing to begin to build that little community. Yeah. Um, but awesome. those are the main ways. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for this invaluable conversation. Um, so great to chat as always. And yeah, have a good rest of your day. And um, I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Sarah. Take care. Yeah, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people. For further learning, be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at gratified or my account, Sarah McLaughlin. Until next time.